Tyrese Halliburton was stunned, Malika. Uh, the league is stunned at this trade. First 10 for three. Welcome to another edition of the Indie Corners Podcast. This is your host, Mark Schindler. As always, before we get started today, if you have not already, be sure to rate and review us over on Apple Podcasts. Check us out over at IndieCorners.com and uh, you know, shoot us any questions, comments, whatever, uh, over to us on Twitter or in the comment section over on IC. I'm joined as always by my co-host, colleague, and friend, Caitlin Cooper. Caitlin, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Does it feel like months since we've last talked? It honestly does. I, I just like full transparency. I wish we'd gotten to do this earlier. I've been, it's been the busiest month of my life. I think I've flown three times in a year at max. And my flight back from Detroit to Cleveland was my eighth flight this month. And it's July 19th today. Um, so yeah, it's been a very busy month, a good month, but yeah, I've been all over the place. So I'm uh, it feels like it's been a year since we talked. <laughs> My schedule was very busy last week and getting to view some of these games was quite challenging. So I actually think it worked out better for us that we took this time apart because now we can, I've saved up all my takes for you. Hopefully you've saved up all your summer league takes for this and people are really going to get the most of what we've thought of these games. Yes, no, definitely. I have, I, I definitely have a lot of thoughts and I'm excited to run some off you. Cause I know, uh honestly neither of us really talked that much about summer league on twitter i i like actively so i was in vegas for summer league for four days and i think i got to watch maybe four games and none of them were the pacers games in person of course um so i i mean like i honestly like i did like kind of a I had like an introspection moment. I was like, I'm not going to watch Summer League this year. I'm going to just like try and stay away from it. And then I stayed up last night watching like a bunch of games back because it was it was fun to dive back into. I forgot how fun it can be watching these games. Like you don't really know what to take away from it, but you also get excited. And like as a side note, Keegan Murray. Oh, my God. Like he looks awesome. Like I cannot wait to watch him continue developing. He's going to be really good for the Kings. Uh I feel like it's like uh, just like in my head, I'm spewing right now because we haven't talked in a while, but um, like, I don't know. I, the, the things that he started showing as a shot creator, not just for himself, but for others, like I think as we talked about on our pod with Ben Pfeiffer, like there's a lot there to like from him in terms of like creating offense without needing anything run for him. But like he started to show some stuff at summer league, like creating more off the dribble, still not perfect, of course. Like, I don't think that he's close to becoming a primary option or anything like that. But um, there's stuff there with like kind of that that I felt was a lot farther away than than he showed at Summer League and just impressive stuff. So, so like to me, again, not Pacers related, but seeing that kind of stuff, those developments, like it's exciting. I love seeing that stuff. And so I'm excited to dive into the Pacers thoughts uh, about it. But first thing I want to ask you, uh, what top top three outshine popsicles you've eaten in the last week? Okay, I don't think that we can fully dive into that, Mark. If we dive into what my weekend was, any shred of people believing that I'm a cool blog girl is going to go completely away. Well, I think you're Um, a cool blog girl. That was not a cool (laughs) cool thing to do over the weekend. (laughs) 
but there's way too many pictures of my hand now on the internet for people to go look at and <laughs> way, way too many miles were driven to go get those last four popsicles but I mean two of them I will say really threw me for a loop there there was two flavors that they really shook up my rankings so if we do a mailbag pod eventually at the end of it when people are tired of listening about us talk about basketball I will rank the popsicles but I, I'm just not fully there quite yet that, that was a lot of a weekend already but um, <sighs> shameless plug of what you said about Keegan Murray I did record a podcast with Sam Vecini where we talked about yes. Keegan Murray for roughly like I don't know 10 it was very minutes. good I, uh, but, I meant to share it on the timeline again but it was very good I'll do that after we get out of this but yes I enjoyed Keegan Murray in summer league but we are here to talk about the Pacers so what we planned for today is we're just going to run through what our thoughts were about each of the rookies from last season and this season. And then we're also going to talk about Aaron Neesmith a little while because in my head, I don't know why, like he's not a rookie, but we still need to talk about him because Pacers just got him in a trade. So I will defer to you. Who do you want to talk about first? Um, hmm. I'm trying to think how I want to spin this. Um, I mean, I guess we, we got to talk about Benedict Matherin first. Um, I... I want to say, I mean, like he made, what was he, second team all SL? I can't remember. It was first or second team? Second team. Um, yeah, second team. Because he only played three games. So that makes sense that he make first team. But um, I will say, like, I was genuinely not, again, taking into account. This is Summer League. Um, but I do think we saw some minor improvements in his handle. Um, not like anything groundbreaking, but I do think he showed more in terms of getting downhill off the bounce than – um, that I think we consistently saw from him at Arizona. So I was very, uh, very intrigued by that. And overall, like just he had a really stellar summer league as a scorer. Um, I, I was really impressed with what his game looked like and uh, how he, especially in the game that he got to play alongside Duarte, I, I really enjoyed seeing how the two of them look together. I want to see more of that. Um, but especially the off the dribble scoring just not, not always getting to the rim, but just in terms of like, he really was working his hesitation move. Um, like I felt like uh, that's something that I, I will be interested to see how quickly teams start to adapt to that in the NBA, because he was really going for that, um, that left in and out or left, left, left has he was kind of like his go-to uh, during SL, but it was working for him. And I, I just, I really enjoyed watching him play. I thought he had a really, really good, really good summer league. Yeah, I think, What's curious for me is like, I haven't really ever delved that deeply into draft picks ahead of summer league. A lot of times mm -hmm. I always went into that and like watching Chris was, I mean, I had seen some of Chris, but like, it was kind of my first experience seeing him playing games. And yeah. I kind of prefer that to a degree, but like going into it with a background, I don't think like, I would say I wasn't really surprised by anything that I saw from Benedict Matherin necessarily, but I also, he didn't really provide me any reason to nitpick him either, yeah. which I think is a very positive thing. I mean, he scored at all three levels in these games. I think what you said about the handle, there were a few moments, like, especially with his in-between game where he snaked a dribble, he snaked his dribble around a screen from Isaiah Jackson um, in the Hornets game. He created space for himself with a step back two on an isolation against um, Brady Manick. That yeah. was like, that's good, tangible stuff. Even like, I mean, we can talk about the quality of the defense and other things, but like 
He also showed some wiggle at the rim in the Kings game when multi yeah, drew a help defender. Really nice contact finishes. Scored through the chest of a guy. Like I thought some of the late game stuff from him in that particular Kings game was a little bit iffy, but like yeah. also he's playing bigger minutes and some of the games. Like I think he cl- played close to 30 in that one. And these are a lot of compact games very close together. So um, I, I enjoyed his like shimmy shoulder shakes on some of the plays whenever yeah. he was getting to his pull-up shot to create space on a step back. I also really liked like in general, I don't want to get too specific. We'll probably touch on this a little bit later, but like, I don't know if what the Pacers were running was like a collaborative thing amongst all the coaching staff, or if this was all just Ronald Norred, but if it was Ronald Norred, like I really appreciated throughout these five games how specific he was in tailoring specific actions to put guys in different spots that suited their games, but also to kind of let them test out some different things. Like, Mm -hmm. especially what you mentioned before, like getting to see Matherin and Duarte play together, like the perfect environment for them to be running is doing blocker move it, move, mover, continuous flares and pins with Terry Taylor and Ajax on the floor and just watching Matherin and Duarte circle through that and find advantages throughout that. So um, yeah, I mean, I think my overall take on Benedict Mathern is this, there's just what I said, there's just very little that I can nitpick on. I mean, he even yeah. had one possession in the Kings game. I think it was against Jared Roden from the Kings where he had a really nice stand in isolation on defense where he forced a late clock to prevented the driving lane. Like I wouldn't say the defense was all perfect. There was still some on ball screen navigation stuff where, you know, some of what we had talked about that showed up at Arizona where he's like veering into the big and it doesn't really seem like the bigs prepared for him to do that. Like some Mm -hmm. of that still happened, but I mean, again, I think generally I still feel for him that I like him best in the off ball actions, whether like the great, lob that he threw to Isaiah Jackson was coming off a handoff. God, I love like, that. That was awesome. <laughs> yeah. Like that, that was probably the highlight of summer league for the Pacers, but like, I still like him better coming off of handoffs, yeah. um, attacking very quickly off the catch on some of his slot drives or, or stuff like that. But like, even some of the negatives that I saw, I'm like, okay, but does that really matter if Tyrese Halliburton's on the floor? Probably yeah. not. No, exactly. I think that's like, I, uh, I really liked what you mentioned about the defense because I came in, uh, I mean, we talked about his defense pretty in depth with um, with Zach Milner. And so I came in just thinking, especially with this being more of a wide open experience, like I think, you know, you're you're going to really see a lot of how guys read the floor defensively. Um, and I was just in, saying, again, not impressed, but like I was expecting Benedict to look a lot worse defensively than he did. Not that he, again, like, like you said, not that he looked amazing or anything, but um, I was pretty like uh, – I, I took I took a lot less notes about his defense uh, during this um, during this three game stint than I expected to, and I think that was a good thing. I also even saw one moment. I mean, the Pistons game they built that really huge lead in, so mm. that that's kind of difficult to parse. And obviously, unfortunately, Jade Ivy didn't get to play, but um, he had one moment. They were running him off of wide a lot, where he came off the wide screen and got a catch and motion for a ball screen to follow up on and then immediately rejected that screen and I thought that was a really nice moment from him like that's not necessarily him being a primary but coming to a ball screen and showing some direction and making a very quick decision like again I was just overall I don't I don't have very many negative notes to add about Benedict Matherin me as well um I wanted to ask too because you mentioned the defense how did you feel about the defense overall just from the team Uh, like I guess from from a team defense standpoint I mean, Which I, I know remain... it's like weird because it's summer league, but yeah. 
some of the stuff they were doing, I don't think is going to work yeah. <laughs> at the next level. I'll just put it that way. I mean, I was a little bit surprised in the first two games and we'll get into this. Well, let's flow into Isaiah Jackson. Once I'm done saying this point mm. um, that they're playing the Hornets and they're playing the Kings and they're obviously Mark Williams is starting at the five Keita starting at the five for the Kings. And they were dropping Isaiah Jackson pretty far back. The first possession, he was in like no man's land and was way too high. And, and the Kings got, I mean, the, the Hornets got a score out of that. But I wondered, and I don't know if anybody asked Ronald Nor at this, but like, was that approach tailored to their opponents? Because it did seem like certain teams were actually doing some degree of scheming against who their opponent was. So mm. there's reason to test Mark Williams in space. I mean, we saw that in that game, him catching it on the short roller, catching it and having to take a couple dribbles to get to the rim was dicey. So that was a good decision. But you're also playing that far back. And then Andrew Nemhard's like getting creamed by screens and uh, like they're going over on most everything in those first two games. And if they had, if those two teams had better pull-up shooters, I don't know how well that would have worked. And I was a little bit surprised to see how much drop coverage they were playing with hijacks. Like, I mean, that's a good environment to test it out in, but then in the Pistons game, they were switching with him a lot more, which just led me to think that some of that was because of what bigs they were playing. I mean, and then, like, we'll just, let's just go straight into Isaiah Jackson. Like when he's playing in that Kings game against Keita, I think that's how you pronounce his last name. I hope it is because it's that was one. Keita. I can't remember. Okay. Cause that was one of the games that was in Spanish. So I, I don't fully know <laughs> yeah. what the answer is here, but um, yeah, I guess, I mean, I just didn't think he was always making the best decisions there. Like he was yeah. several feet off of him just giving up wide open shots and wasn't quite positioned quite right. And I did notice in the first game that Benedict Matherin, like at a dead ball was motioning to Isaiah Jackson and was like one, five get more deep on one, five, as in we're switching everything else, but we're dropping deep on one, five pick and rolls. And you need to be further back. Like they were having to drop Isaiah Jackson back pretty far because he just doesn't play both sides of that and getting his body in the right position that well quite yet. Yeah, I think that was that's a really great point to hit on. I think that stuck stuck out a ton to me, um, and that's twofold. Uh, number one, like you mentioned, like he really was uh, struggling to play two on ones in space. Um, but also, I, I again, it it's just summer league, so I don't want to. I feel like I'm going to say that a thousand times this podcast, but like, uh, not to hedge everything, but um, I was pretty underwhelmed by what he looks like playing in space right now. I think uh, um, it's not that he can't, but again, like it felt like, all right, I want to see the arms up more. Like he had his hands down a lot. He felt like he was trying to block everything to an extent and he got caught a lot in the air on some of those. Like, again, he's capable of getting away with it because of how athletic he is and what his reaction tools are. But I do think too, there were a lot of times where I was like, ah, in the NBA, that's a foul. Like there, there's just, especially with teams game planning and stuff, that was, that stuff stuck out to me a lot. But then also, too, I mean, especially offensively, like it felt very clear where they're like, okay, he's a five. Like, did you feel that there were any minutes where he really played as a four? Yeah, and that's that's what we need to bring up, because here's a semi hot take (laughs) that I'm going to ask you. I'm putting you on the spot before that Pistons game happened where he went, I think, a perfect. Let me pull up his stats. I think he was a perfect seven of seven in that game. Um. Whoa, my mouse is messed. Hard up. to find some. Of yeah, stats, it was it was it was a perfect seven to seven from that game. If we're just looking at the Kings and the Hornets game, who would you have said played better in summer league, 
Isaiah Jackson or Terry Taylor? Oh, Terry Taylor by a mile. Like I, I even including the other games, I think it was Terry. Like Taylor, t- Terry to me was like the one player on the team I looked at who was like too good for summer league. Like he was. We we can dive into more about that, but yeah, I I definitely thought it was Terry. Yeah. So in the first two games, he was six of 18 and it's not all about making shots. And this is kind of going back to what Ronald Norad was doing with the offense, which I liked. It felt like there was an emphasis in those first two games to let Isaiah Jackson try some different things. So for instance, when he went seven of seven against the Pistons, here's how he scored as the roller out of Spain crashing on a lob, kind of like a look what I found possession, recovering a loose ball an offensive rebound, and then twice running the floor in transition and then slipping like just behind a switch where the smaller guy really wasn't paying attention. So like, that's kind of his bread and butter of what we know of him. And like, I don't want people to think that I'm low on Isaiah Jackson, like, especially in that game, like that's what Isaiah Jackson does. And his catch radius was on display in every one of these games and catching the lobs and, and rolling toward the basket. And I do think that like, if he's going to be the backup five and he does play some minutes with Tyrese Halbert and that will open up some stuff for Tyrese. But in terms of like seeing what else he can do, and what other types of things he might be able to do on offense besides being a play finisher. I'm not really sure that we saw many glimpses of that because the times where he tried it, like whether it was, you know, trying to fake a handoff or catching it at the top of the key and putting the ball on the floor. He did finish that once against the Kings, but he really cleared space with his off arm. Like that probably yeah. should have been and an offensive like foul. Hesitated too. It was, it was like yeah, it wasn't possession. particularly fluid with his footwork. And then, there, just some of his decision-making really perplexed me in some of the games when he caught the ball in different spots. So like Andrew Nemhard, I think had gotten blocked on something, recovered the ball, Ajax flashes, and he just immediately catches it and shoots a catch and shoot two. Like instead of doing any type of processing and noticing like, oh, Keita's guarding me. I could use a pump fake and get to the rim here. I'll just use a pump fake in general because he wants to jump at everything. Like he just immediately took the shot. And then one of the games in the Hornets, again, I think it was against the Hornets. Um, I think Matherin led him with a pass that was like, perfect. Oh, catch it and just go right into a drop step, right to the rim. And instead, like, instead of just taking that one power dribble and getting there, he turns around and like tries to get to a hook shot that wasn't even close. Like yeah. some of his decision makings and spots where he isn't just the roller or able to, you know, be in the dunker spot or float around in that space and manufacture those types of angles. I don't think that we necessarily saw something beyond what we were seeing at the end of last season. I still think he's definitely a rotation player next year. I still think a lot of what he does is impactful. Even the things that we mentioned about his defense, he still had what, like nine blocks in these three games and several steals. So, man, he obviously is still an event creator. And what you said Mm -hmm. before, what his athleticism is like, there's times where he's in a drop where it's like watching Robert Williams. And it's like, did you just jump on a trampoline? How in the world did you get out there to block that jump shot? Like he does so many incredible things. It's just, I'm not sure comparing him to himself that we can say like with a measuring stick. Okay. I saw growth there. Yeah, no, exactly. I'm I'm, I'm in the same boat with you. I do think he did some nice stuff as like a connective playmaker, but again, It's also like, okay, well, I just, there needs to be more stuff from actually like trying things. Like, I I do think, I mean, there was some positives with him shooting, but again, even then on the shots, like it was, there was, there was hesitation. Like he had to look at his feet a few times. And um, to me, like, again, that's more stuff where a, the defense is going to be completely fine with him taking those, or he's going to get a harder closeout. And then what happens? And 
Um, so yeah, not to be like completely unfair to him, but I do think there was, I, I was really hoping to see a lot more. Yeah, because I did. I do like that you brought that up because there were times where Terry Taylor and Terry Taylor fashion was screening below and staying below the screen on switches. And Ijax did throw some really nice soft touch high low passes in there to him. I think that that was probably his most standout mm-hmm. moments as a passer. He had some other ones where like, I mean, we can talk about some of the grab and go forays too. like there was one time in transition where he passed it ahead and got the ball back and finished. But then there was two other times where I was kind of like, oh, dear, <laughs> what <laughs> yeah. is happening? Where then he like got blocked by the rim on one and then another one against the Kings where he just completely lost control of the ball. And I was I was kind of surprised. I'm like, I didn't know Isaiah Jackson was going to have like point center um, privileges in these games, but apparently he did. I did like getting to see him try it. If he, uh, that, that one that you mentioned, if he, uh, if he hadn't hit the rim, that would have been like the dunk of, of summer league other than Johan Beggerin had it. And I don't know if you saw it, he had absolutely insane, just yam on somebody. Um, but yeah, that was, that was rough. When I, as soon as he missed it, I like threw my hands up there like, Oh no, like that was, that was painful. But um, yeah. Did you have anything else on him? No, I think we can head on. Do you, I guess we didn't even talk about the person who only played in one summer league game, Chris, yeah, Chris Duarte. So what was your thoughts on Chris? I thought, I mean, the biggest thing for me was that Chris looked healthy again, um, which I w- was something I was saying worried about would be the wrong way to put it. But like when he had that interview, uh, gosh, I want to say it was like two or three weeks ago saying that he was still rehabbing from his toe. I was like very perplexed. I was like, what is going on here? Like um, that, I, I don't, I don't actually, I don't think we touched, uh, touched base on that, but yeah, when, when I saw that, I was a little bit worried and, um, but he, he, I mean, he looked healthy. I thought he played really well. It wasn't anything that stood out crazy to me. Like I do think just in terms of actual process and everything, like he had a, well, obviously it was in the Hornets game, but it was, I want to say it was Kai Jones closed out to him when he was taking a pull-up three and his footwork to end up drawing a foul on it was just sick. Cause he had like, he went through like four or five counters um, and then ends up drawing a foul and gets to the line and, and hits his three free throws. But um, like, I mean, I just, I thought he looked good. I didn't, I didn't really have any massive takeaways on him. I enjoyed Chris a lot in that game. Yeah. Um, I think he definitely looks like he's hit the weight room and not to make yeah. it muscle watch, but that's something that he needed to do. Definitely. I mean, we had talked about it in the review pod that I think that in part that that was limiting him a little bit on his ability to come off of screens. Cause there's times he'd get pushed off his route. Mm-hmm. And once he was knocked off, he didn't necessarily get to the next cut or the next thing. I thought he looked physically stronger in those games. I thought he or in that game. I thought he looked very composed in what he was doing. He was only three of seven from the floor, but um sometimes he can get a little bit like as much as we talk about his maturity and the fact of what his age is, I felt that there were games last year where he missed passing windows and either got too deep or tried to jam a pocket pass where it didn't belong. And I thought that he was just really under control, made some nice passes, um, found Isaiah Jackson on one of the lobs. And then what you're saying, I mean, he attempted nine free throws in 24 minutes. So exactly the play that you brought up, I think is a very important one because there was moments last year, particularly when he was in the right corner where he would draw some like pretty wild closeouts. And like, I think it was against the Raptors where, you know, Chris Boucher is like up in the air and Chris is in his shooting motion. And instead of just letting go of the ball and drawing the foul, like he goes into escape moves and tries to still get a shot off. And it felt like, okay, like just draw the foul. You're going to get three free throws. Yeah. So I like seeing him like I wouldn't call it grifting, but I like seeing him looking to draw contact. I mean, because some of those 
the one that you just mentioned, plus another one, like some of these free throws were coming off of jump shots. So I did think that that was a noticeable area of growth and in decision-making from him. And I didn't think he needed to play more than one game. So that's always a positive. So we don't need to say a ton about Chris, but I did want to register that we mentioned him because I did think he had a nice summer league and I liked the ways that they were using him with Matherin when the two of them were on the floor. Um, Let's just go ahead and go to Terry Taylor then if you want to. Definitely. I'm excited to talk about Terry. His handle. I was yes. I was so impressed. Like, um, I will say I was kind of bummed that he only took one three-pointer the entire time, but also he just really didn't need to take more. Yep. He was running into every catch and his handle was just tighter. He was throwing out like dribble combos that I just haven't seen from him. And the finishing off drives was unreal. Like contact finishes touch finishes i swear to god his floater like leaves the goddamn screen on instat because it goes so high but it went in like every time uh he was awesome like just being frank like maybe i'm i'm blowing it up a little bit but i mean what he did attacking off the catch was really impressive to me uh like i i expected him to have a good um a good summer league because we know what he does but I thought like, I mean, that was an area for him last year where not that he was bad at it, but I thought, you know, there were some times last year where if he got an opportunity to get run off the line, it felt like he was very one handed. Um, and it was more like you could you could understand like a defense being willing to give that up. But now I was like, OK, Terry Taylor attacking off the catch is not something I'm really excited about if I'm a defense He's such a fun role player. He's awesome. And I was, I was very, awesome. I was very excited about this because when I wrote my summer league primer, what I wrote about Terry Taylor was I wanted to see bully drives from him. And it's exactly yeah. what you pointed out. I'm like, even if he's not going to shoot that corner three and there, there is a place for an uphill DHO, especially for a non-shooter. Cause that's going to open up space for the shooter when they get mm. to the corner. But there was times where like they're playing Boston and they're denying that DHO. And then he like, wouldn't even look at the rim. And I just wanted him to take that space first. If Daniel Tice is going to play 10 feet off of you, attack that space and make him have to react. And that's what Terry Taylor did. Like he, he was eating up the space that was in front of him. And what you're saying, like sometimes we don't really comprehend when we're watching him that like in the same game against the Kings, he's running down the floor, setting a quick screen and transition below what the switch is going to be using his body to seal high, low and catching a pass from a center when he himself is six foot five. And then later on in the same game, pushing the ball up the floor in transition and going with an inside out back in again, dribble to get to his left and finishing with a floater and transition. That like some of the stuff that he like that he can do just as one person, as a role player, like I'm not going to go crazy with it, but he was incredibly fun to watch over those three games and like him hitting people with spin moves, like going into the, like yes. he'd initially start to dribble off the drive and then doing what I said, like get into your back down, get to the spin move, get back to your left and finishing with the floater at the rim. I did think defensively he had some issues, particularly late, which was kind of a team issue against the Kings when Keegan Murray went on his personal, like eight, whatever scoring run against the Pacers to close them out where, you know, mm-hmm. I think, he and Andrew Nemhard needed to be more communicative, communicative, especially when uh, Keegan ghosted that screen and got right into the closeout and attacked Andrew. Um, they didn't really seem like they were on the same page about what they needed to be doing there. And then he also fell asleep on the one cut from Keegan Murray to the rim and had a couple other issues defensively in that game. But I could probably point out defensive issues that everybody had um, in the summer league. But 
overall, I all left with a very positive impression of Terry Taylor and remain very hopeful that he's going to get actual minutes next year, some way, somehow. That, I think, got a little bit tougher once they announced Jalen Smith as the starting power forward, not necessarily because I thought Terry Taylor should be the starting power forward, but if you're going to be playing Jalen at the four, I don't know how they envision O'Shea Brissett, if he's a three or a four, um, where Terry's minutes are going to come from, but I think that he looks like he can play rotation minutes for the Pacers or another team. So left very positively feeling about him. Now on to the final three players. Um, Do you want to talk about Kendall Brown? Uh, Yeah. Um, I thought, I mean, there were some positives, but for the most part, um, I mean, the finishing in traffic was just like, I mean, it looked exactly like it did at Baylor. I do think he had like a couple of nice drives and, and finishes, um, but a lot of it was uh, like, I mean, I thought he should have probably, and this is not trying to be unfair, but I think I, he was lucky he didn't get called for more more offensive fouls than he did. Um, like just a lot of um, driving into somebody and then throwing something up. Like he had some really bad misses on floaters um and again like i think that's part of the issue too it's just like a lot of floaters not very many layups because of just what his finishing approach typically is um i was happy that he took some jump shots but again it was like same thing as ijax like they were wide open he made sure his feet were squared it wasn't it didn't feel anything in rhythm um and the defense like he actually i think it's part partially because like coming from playing no middle is very different to going and playing nba defense but like there were some times where he definitely you could see him like oh i'm gonna ice this because we're playing no middle and then it's like oh wait we're not playing no middle and like it so it was funny to see that like play out a few times but um yeah i mean like he did the cool grab and go run and transition he had some nice passes he obviously had quite a few nice dunks as a cutter um but again like i I don't know. I think he, he definitely feels very far away from being a ready uh, four in the NBA. Was there any more thrilling moment in these summer league games than what was going to happen <laughs> with Kendall Brown and transition? Uh, yeah, that's a great, that's a great way to put it. There like it was, it was thrilling. I was never quite sure what the end result was going to be, but I was excited to find out. Yeah, it was uh, it was certainly an experience uh, to know what what on earth was going to happen when he got down the floor, because I had no idea, certainly. Yeah, some some of the finishes were a little wild. I did like watching him run ahead of the break and get off of two feet and dunk like and that is kind of one of the things that I noticed a lot about this roster. And we've talked about it before, but clearly there was an emphasis in this draft and with Isaiah Jackson going back to last year to upgrade the athleticism of what this roster is. And there were moments where I was like, you know, they were trying to top lock guys, shooters, and Kendall did that too early before the big was back in position to do it. So it's going to be a pretty easy back cut. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, oh boy, like that was a pretty big mistake. And his athleticism was such that he got back to the other side of the rim and blocked it. And there was a couple moments between various players like that where I'm like, oh, that was a pretty big mistake. But then they were able to fix it just because, you know, they have that degree of quickness and ability to recover and get back. So um, there was a moment like not to nitpick, but in the Kings game, there was a moment where he was off ball defensively and got so twisted around that he did a 480, like completely lost Keegan Murray in the corner. Like it it was it was a little bit comical, but um I did think he had some nice on-ball defensive possessions. Um, 
I don't remember which game it was. I want to say it was. I think the, it was. The yeah, it was the. Game. He had yeah. some like good screen navigation moments. Yeah, the there was game. one in the Wizards game where he completely kept the ball from getting out of the paint, but then when that guy gave it up, he had to take the next guy, and then he ended up like biting on the pump fake. But I will say that like passing wise, I thought he did a good job as like making one extra pass. He had a yeah. nice pocket pass in one of the games. Um, I thought he made, you know, some pretty impressive reads quick reads that you'd want to see. And again, I liked some of what Ronald Nora did with him, like having him flash up to the elbow in a spot where he could turn and kind of use a fake DHO to get to the rim. I thought was a good use of him. They put him in good spots to cut. There was probably only one spot because we had talked before that sometimes I think he can overdo it with the cutting. There was probably only one spot where I felt like, like, yeah, you needed to stay in the corner there. Like you just completely threw off Andrew Nemhard's rhythm. The rest of the time I thought he made some pretty good decisions and was good with the timing of what his cuts were. And then I also liked one, the play they kept running in the Suns game a couple times where it was kind of like a double ball screen, but when they used him as the screener, he would immediately just slip it and fade back to the rim at the same time mm-hmm. as there was an exit screen in the corner. So that opened up space pretty nicely. And I thought he did a decent job with that. Um, so I think I actually felt maybe a little bit better about him than I did in the pre-draft process. Like I'm not necessarily expecting that he's going to get like a bunch of minutes next season or something, but um, I did like some of what he did, what he did out there. It's obviously the, the shooting is going to be the swing skill. He was one of five from yeah. three. And what you're saying is definitely the case. And, and there were even a few times where he got like hard closeouts on pump fakes that led to some of the passes that I liked around the rim where he made little dump off passes. And I was like, okay, that's never happening. Like if he (laughs) does play real minutes in the NBA, he's that type of possession isn't going to happen. He's not going to have a guy running and doing a hard closeout at him above the break and being able to be that open to make that pass. But um, can't really penalize him for what the good read was nonetheless and his timing of making the pass, but I don't know how translatable I find that to be. Yeah, I agree. Totally. Um, Moving on to the last two players, do you want to talk about Aaron Neesmith or Andrew Nemhard? Uh, do you want to close positive or negative? <laughs> well, I guess that depends on which person you think I think positively or negatively about. Uh, yeah, let's do uh, let's do Neesmith first, just to get him out of the way. I, okay. Sorry, that sounded very harsh. I don't mean it that way, but I we talked about this a little bit before Pod. I was pretty underwhelmed with Aaron Neesmith. Um, like if you had told me. Uh, if I'd never seen Aaron Neesmith play before and you told me that he was a, a this this was going to be his third year in the NBA, I would have come away pretty mum on how he looked at summer league. Um, granted, what he only played starting in the third game. Um, I do think like he had a couple of drives where I was like, oh, okay, cool. Like that's a nice finish. Or like he had a really nice dump off in the game against the, the Pistons that um, I would have expected to be either like a, a really rough in air adjustment like there were like three guys around him so I was impressed with that but overall like a lot of the drives were pretty tough um the shot wasn't super there for him um and the defense wasn't awesome either so I just overall processing and decision making um which has been an issue for him in the NBA so far continued to be an issue for him in summer league for me um so yeah it was I don't really have a ton of positives to take away from him other than I mean, that if, one sequence where he, he like uh, Ed Reed caught the ball and then went and dunked it on the other end, but if we're being honest, it was it was fairly rough. Yeah, it was a rough showing. Um, Ten of thirty-seven from the field, five of twenty from three, eleven turnovers to two assists, and sixteen fouls in three games. 
So I guess like, I don't think summer leagues, everything, like if we want to look back at a prior example, Solomon Hill had a very rough summer league for the Pacers and did not get his option picked up. I thought that was a premature decision. I would not have paid him the massive bag of money he earned after that Raptor series when he ended up leaving the Pacers, but I also wouldn't have put, you know, everything on what he looked like in those summer league games. I think generally speaking, and I'd like to get your feedback on this one. How do you feel about third year players playing in summer league? Like what is the upside of this? The only upside that I can see is if you're a guy who, you know, is on the bubble of even making the roster and you need to go there and like fight for your position or have another team see you play to potentially pick you up. Otherwise I don't really see a lot of benefit to that. Um, in Aaron Nismith's case, there's no way he's not making the roster next year. And like, because of how long Aaron or Malcolm Brogdon's physical kind of dragged out, like in his defense, he probably wasn't really, it wasn't like he was with the rest of the team when they were back in Indiana, going through mini camp and getting to discuss and build chemistry together and go over the playbook. Like he just kind of got thrown out there midweek. And I just don't know if this, if there was a lot of upside to that for him. Yeah, I especially like you're mentioning because I don't want to hold too much against him. Like that was just uh, I I don't know what his ramp up was prior to to everything, and it did feel like odd, especially too after the team had kind of already started to establish themselves to just you know throw him in midweek. I don't know how fair that is to a dude. Um, like I, I do think generally, like I like seeing guys get reps regardless, um, even if it is a third year player. But again, like I think in that circumstance, it was kind of like hmm, I don't know. Yeah, because I don't know. I honestly don't know if I saw him make a shot off of more than two dribbles. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't know that did. if it happened. And when he saw help defenders at the rim, the decision-making as a passer, like the 11 turnovers, not great. He had some moments where he really was getting after it and getting into the ball defensively, but then he couldn't finish it without fouling. Like yeah. I, I mentioned I was watching one of these games with somebody else and I messaged them and I was like, you know, if he plays 30 minutes a game, next year for the Pacers. I don't know if he'll be able to do it without fouling out. And as it turns out, he would have fouled out in two of these games. He finished two games with six fouls and one with four. Um, and, and the three point shot, there's just something hitchy about it. Like he yeah. needs to be able to hop into the catch. And if he doesn't do that, it's just somewhat, like I said, it, it's a little bit hitchy. I don't think that this all has to do with him just getting more minutes. And that's not to say that I think that this, that he can't grow with the Pacers or blossom. We obviously just saw, you know, no two players are the same, but we did just see Jalen Smith have a nice, you know, turnaround after coming from a contender where he wasn't going to get minutes and being able to play for the Pacers and play free. And as he said, like, or his parents said at the presser that Rick Carlisle related that, you know, he was smiling again and that helped him. So I think that that is possible with Aaron Neesmith, but from what I saw here, there's not a lot that I can point to other than, you know, he did have seven steals. He was pretty aggressive and, and decent at reading passing lanes and, and shooting gaps to get in and, and lead fast breaks. But um, other than that, it's kind of like, I don't know what he's good at right now. Yeah. It's kind of an issue for me. And that was, that was interesting because I did feel like people are going to be able to count how many times I brought this up. I liked some of the ways that Ronald Nora tried to put him in different positions. Like they were having shit to like set dunker pin downs for him to kind of flash to the middle of the paint and use his length to catch, but he didn't finish on those. 
And then they were also using him in the corner with like shit two at the elbows out of horns where they were running some false like flare actions to, to, to kind of distract the defense. And then he would face cut to the rim and he did finish one of those. And I was like, you know, that that's kind of interesting because he is, he does have some length and size that if depending upon what the matchup is, like maybe you can use him off some flex cuts or use him there in the face cuts. And so I liked the way that they tried to test him out in a few different spots, but um a lot of the rest of it was like back screen or out of Spain. And some of those shots were short. And, you know, I did like the one time he had a really nice escape dribble three against the closeout there. He kept it a three and finished, but um, I can't say I was overwhelmingly positive or felt good about what I saw from him in those three games. But I also don't think it was like what we both said, probably the most fair environment for him to get launched into. And if I were the Pacers, with him being a third year player and kind of needing a fresh start, I think I would have just held him. I think I would just waited to training camp, let him get a full training camp in with his new team and his new teammates and go into preseason and let his first reps be there in a preseason setting. But, you know, maybe, maybe Aaron Neesmith wanted to play. Maybe he wanted those reps. It sounded like before this whole trade happened that he was somewhat on the fence um, up in Boston about whether that was something he wanted to do, but maybe his opinion changed once he was on a new team. Mm-hmm. no yeah what? for sure um we actually have two players to talk about still oh we do who did yeah. I, who else did i forget besides uh, Dwayne washington and andrew nemhard well Dwayne washington was waived i don't i didn't oh, really prepare for Dwayne wait, washington I'm, I'm dumb as heck never mind we don't have to talk about Dwayne. um yeah that i just was because i i just was thinking about it I was like yeah Dwayne had a pretty i will say that i did feel a little bit bad for Dwayne washington yeah. people online got mad at me for being feeling bad for Dwayne washington because i agree like his defense still wasn't great i mean that was probably the biggest well, my area. issue was the passing like yeah his accuracy on passes i had no idea where the ball was going when he threw it but again like the one thing i will say about that is like especially in the first game that bench unit was very strangely composed for me like playing him with Gabe York and then having Zhang and Benny Boatwright and I forget who the fifth person was like Dwayne was having to initiate too much offense and I don't really think that's a thing that you want him doing yeah especially considering how things closed out the year with him being so that was a weird thing for me but like just in terms of having him as a guy that I mean for most of the year that was on a two-way contract that you could throw out there and play actual NBA minutes um, the eat up minutes and be able to hit threes on occasion and be used as like a ghost screener in spots to reignite offense. I didn't have an overwhelmingly negative opinion about Dwayne and given how um, the rest of the week played out, like he was basically just waived for the Phoenix Suns to match a contract. So, I mean, I don't know, maybe the Pacers were planning to wave him after summer league anyways. I don't know what their intentions were, but anyways, I wish you well, Dwayne Washington. I hope you find uh, another team or, something but <laughs> apparently people yeah. didn't like me wishing him well so well, i apologize I for well that too, and those people can shut up because that's just rude um well yeah let's talk about andrew nemhard um i how did you feel about andrew that was a little bit of a tough one for me yeah. i was somewhat on the fence um the last game against phoenix which i will say like I don't think we really need to play consolation games in Las Vegas. Yeah. I think by the time, like just play the championship game and let everybody else go home. Um, I wasn't overly enthused by most of those consolation games. I didn't even watch all of them, but um, he was one of nine in that game. And again, it's not all about making shots. It's more about the process here, but Phoenix went into a zone quite a bit in that game. And he 
struggled to kind of initiate the offense whenever that happened. And I did find it interesting how much they were running. Like they were setting double drags and other actions for him to get to his left. He seems like I didn't watch a ton of Gonzaga. Like I just pretty much binge watched that the night before we did our draft pod, trying to get a feel for him. And they were running stuff to get him downhill to his left. Or if he got a screen on his right, he was rejecting it a lot to get to his left. And then he seems most comfortable like with Matherin or Duarte out there and finding the shake cut, finding the guy shaking up from three rather than making the pocket pass. I wasn't always thrilled. Like if he couldn't throw a lob or he couldn't throw the skip with his left, I wasn't completely thrilled with what his playmaking was to the role man across all five games. Mm -hmm. And then I was a little bit surprised with his ball security in some of the games, like closing out the half against the Kings. He had several turnovers in a row. Um, I thought like, given his experience in college and where he played, I, I thought that, you know, 16 turnovers was kind of a lot across the five, but, and then the shot, like he went three of 14 from three. There were spots where he didn't want to get a shot off. I think his release is a little bit low. Um, yeah. We had talked about that. Like if he sees a contest, I think there's going to have to be some degree of an adjustment there, but what were your thoughts? Yeah. I mean, I think overall, like you mentioned, I was, uh, I was pretty, I was mostly happy with how he like composed the offense. Like I thought it was good at stirring the drink and getting the ball moving. And um, I agree with you too. Like it felt like premeditated is the wrong way to put it, but like, it felt like, okay, if this isn't here, then I'm not sure what I'm doing yet. Or like um, I was, uh, I felt like he had some real opportunities to just take shots that were there for him and he didn't. And I was kind of bummed about that. Like he had a, I think it ended up being an assist anyways, but like he had a, I want to say it was in the Hornets game. He had a pick and roll where he got like wide open at the rim. It was literally just him at the rim and somebody two feet behind him and he passed the ball out. And I was like, no. And it felt like he was trying to find his place in the offense without necessarily taking over too much. And I, I just, it, it didn't feel super comfortable. Um, like I, again, I do think that there were some positives. Um, but like you mentioned too, like, like we talked about, like he is really, if the shots not going to be there for him, then it's really tough to, to, totally see how he's going to fit in necessarily i do think like him and ijax had some really good chemistry together yeah like i did what i i really enjoyed that and i could see like one of the things i immediately thought of was okay where does tj mcconnell fit in if that's going to be your go-to bench unit like having them hard and and ijax together um but even then like you like like we're just hitting on like i do think like and even that's without like i thought defensively like he did some okay things but like you mentioned the screen navigation was rough um he was getting pretty destroyed by screens especially against the kings um I th so yeah overall i thought positives but also it, it it's just if the ball is not going to be in his hands i'm not super sure what he's bringing so i did like the fact that he seemed to be mostly in constant motion yeah, like he's I not thought, the like, speed he, he moves well without the ball it's yeah just the defenses don't care because he can't shoot or, or won't shoot super well. So it's just yeah, I mean, he definitely has a pass-first mentality. Yeah. I mean, the same can be said for TJ McConnell as well, and there's definite positives to that. I mean, when he does get yeah. off the ball, I appreciate that he stayed in constant motion. He's not necessarily the speediest in transition, but um, I'd like to see how much he was – what the tracking would have been in his half court because I did appreciate that. Um, I don't know that what I saw from these games that I would be ready to be like – I mean, and it's, it's going to sound really counterintuitive, but I don't know that I would be ready to say like, oh, yeah, I'm going to bench TJ McConnell next year. Oh, yeah. I don't mean it like that. It's more just like if they actually want to focus on 
but yeah, I mean, that's yeah. Th- this goes back to draft night though. Like your point is salient and that I think they both need to be the backup point guard. Yeah. Like, if, he's, if they're going to project into towards being more of a combo or two, he's not, he's not that right now. So it's just like, I don't know how that's working. Um, but yeah, <laughs> so that's, it makes it interesting, but again, like there, there were definitely things to like, but it also just kind of made me ask some questions as well. Yeah, and I don't know if you were aware of this, but there was also something else that happened that was Pacers related during Summer League. I don't know if you want to talk about it. But... <laughs> yeah, uh, well, DeAndre Ayton was a Pacer for about, what, three hours? Right it was a magical there? three hours, many are saying. <laughs> Your article was awesome, by the way. I'm, I'm glad that it got the hype that it deserved, and I'm glad that you actually put it out because it was very good. Um, even if DeAndre Ayton didn't become a Pacer, you help people learn about basketball, and that matters a lot, so... Thank you for putting it out. Um, I was, <laughs> I mean, I like, I, I don't know. I was in a, I was in the Las Vegas airport on my way back uh, before three consecutive delays, but we don't need to talk about that. Cause that was like the worst day of all time. But uh, yeah. Um, how do you feel about it? <laughs> because I have a lot of thoughts. Well, I'm really interested to hear all the thoughts. I think, <laughs> yeah. first of all, like, I want to know what your most galaxy-brained conspiracy theory is on why that happened because I can't believe the amount of like I don't know like I'm just like imagining sloshy galaxy brains like thinking all this stuff because like I've seen takes that like oh the Pacers didn't even really want Aiden he and Miles just have the same agent and they were just doing DeAndre Aiden a solid and also showing his agent that that's what they're going to be willing to do for okay, Miles that's, later. That's, that's horseshit. I'm sorry. Like, no, I, I know that you're not saying that, but like, whoever thinks that, come on, man. Let's, let's I don't have time like, for that type of a take, but like, I forget what the other one was. And I'm like, well, I guess my take is that clearly everyone who works for the Pacers reads my Twitter account and noticed and saw hey, Caitlin wrote this piece about Aiden already, and I think it would just be nice if we gave her a chance to publish it. So that's my galaxy brain conspiracy theory, that the whole thing was just, you know, a, lots of ceremony in order for me to get to publish a really random blog at our website. Yeah, well, here's here's my conspiracy theory. So James Jones, right, GM, mm-hmm. president of basketball ops for, uh, for the Phoenix Suns, one time Indiana Pacer. So clearly... This is just them doing him a solid. That, that's that's what it is. They were uh, they were they were trying to uh, so that they didn't have to pay him the five year max. They they exactly. got to pay him the four year max without anything prickly attached to the offer sheet. Exactly. KP's like, hey man, you you played like three hundred minutes for the Pacers, so clearly we have to do this for you. Um, but no, in reality, like um, I I mean that's this is there had been reported stuff about the Pacers interest in DeAndre Ayton for a while this is not just an out of nowhere I don't believe things because I don't like them type thing like this is no this there was there was clearly back into this I don't I don't get why we always have to make everything that comes out a conspiracy theory um it's the American way yeah I mean did you see today like this is not at all me trying to shame Mark Spears as a journalist he's a fantastic journalist over at Anscape and, and ESPN but like they had like this whole feature with DeAndre Ayton about re-signing in, in Phoenix. And I was just like, didn't y'all just have like a, a story last week about Phoenix and their hatred for DeAndre Ayton? Like it just was the news cycle is so wild to me. It will never not be wild to me. Um, but 
Yeah. I mean, this to me, the biggest thing out of this is Miles Turner has to get traded like ASAP. Like, I don't think that there's any question about it to me. Like, I cannot imagine that he's thrilled about this. I cannot blame him for that. Um, the team is not committed to him, no matter what they say, no matter how many times Rick Carlisle calls him the best rim protector in the NBA, which is false. Um, even though he's awesome, like, we just don't have to do that. But like, I just, there is no way that this can result with miles coming back. I think it would be catastrophic failure would be a step too far for me, but I think bringing back miles with any intention of trying to rehab his trade value or integrate and see how he plays with the team would be a mistake. I just don't see how that it's fruitful for either side right now. It just feels like, I mean, and this isn't a conspiracy theory on my part. I think that the Pacers really did. I mean, I think Aiden had a quote in that article that you just mentioned that the Pacers came after him aggressively from the very beginning of free agency. Um, there was rumors connecting the Pacers to Aiden clear back around the trade deadline. And I think mostly for the reasons I laid out in the article, it made sense because at a certain point in time, you can't just be thinking about all the ways that Tyrese can optimize other players. You also have to be thinking about how some of the other players on the roster can optimize him. Exactly. And I do think that he and Aiton could have had that degree of synergy where they really could have helped each other. But I don't know, like maybe part of the Pacers thinking was that they already knew that Miles didn't plan on signing an extension. So that emboldened them further yeah. to pursue Aiton. And if that's the case, then it's like what we've been saying on this podcast for a while now. Like, I just fail to see that, and I'll let Miles speak for himself. If he later on says, you know, that he's always wanted to be in Indiana, fine. Like, it's his life. It's his decision-making. But given what some of the reporting has been, if he doesn't plan on signing an extension, my question is, I just don't understand the point. Like, people keep yeah. bringing up, well, why can't they just, like, you know, you rebuild that relationship and then you see what he can do with Tyrese. I'm like, but if he doesn't plan to stay, then why? Like, yeah. and, and I'm not going to say it's completely counterproductive, but like in another team setting, would you be putting like this degree of attention into making sure that miles is getting his touches and getting shots? I mean, cause it kind of goes back to the glorified role player article that a lot of people from other teams brought up is like, where is he going to get that kind of role? And have you seen enough from him to, like, I don't want to say warrant it, but to provide good enough reason for doing that? And people are like, well, it, I, it's not inspiring at all to think about, you know, Isaiah Jackson and Jalen Smith as the starters. I'm like, well, they got a lot of centers they can pick from currently on the roster. But beyond that, like, isn't that what it's going to be eventually anyways? Like, if you bring Miles back and he rehabs some of his value and you have to move him because he wants to bet on himself, which, again, I'm not – criticizing him at all for that. I understand his perspective, but you're going to be getting to that midway through the season. So why not just start out doing it from the start of training camp? And I'm sorry, but there's no way you can spin this in the past. They could spin some of the fact that miles Turner has been in constant trade rumors for like five years. Like when the Gordon Hayward thing happened, they could go out to microphones and say, Hey, we went as hard as we possibly could after a player at a position of need. And as like, you know, we felt that miles was our way of, of getting that player, but we still really believe in miles at his position. Now you've gone after a clear upgrade at center. Like there's, I don't, I don't care what they try to do or what some of the, like the talking points have been about like, Oh, they were just getting eight and paid and they say they have the same agent. Like, I'm just not seeing that. Yeah, no, exactly. I'm right there with you. I think this is like, just, we know what this was like. We don't like, I'm sure that this will try and get spun some other way, but um, 
yeah, I just think Miles needs to be traded, to be completely honest. I'm, I'm kind of I, I'm over this, and I have no doubt he is over this. this I think that both sides, I mean, for his sake, for everybody's sake, I think both sides just need to get a fresh start. Yeah. And I mean, I felt that for a while. And it's not because I don't think that he might not play better with Tyrese. I believe in Tyrese in that way. It's just, again, from the things that we said. But I do want to get your input, too, just generally. Like, how did you feel about the Pacers going after and doing that, even though it did get matched within a couple hours? I thought it was the right move. Like, I, I, it's... I, my biggest thing is I just don't really understand from the Suns' perspective what they're doing. Like, I think that they just should have signed him in the offseason. I get, like, some of the hangups and stuff about it, but also, like, this is your number one overall pick. You're not really getting better uh, without signing him. Um, like, I just – it's kind of one of the things where, like, okay, you're a 65-win team. He was a big part of that. There's still room for him to grow. I get, again, like, I think – you can quibble about what the money's going to be, but I just a weird thing to me. I, I don't know. And I, I have a lot of friends who are Suns fans. I haven't really agreed with how they talk about Aiden at times. Um, again, like I, you and I had a really good pot on this. We don't need to hash on this too much, but I just, it's been weird. But I think again, from the Pacers perspective, I thought it was great. I do. I gotta say, <laughs> I hate that we are praising Herb Simon for just now deciding that it's okay to send offer sheets like i get that you want to be like a nice guy or whatever but it's competitive sports and i just don't like that mentality whatsoever because there are a million things that go on behind the scenes that aren't great about pro sports so acting like you're high and mighty for not signing offer sheets is just ridiculous to me but congrats on finally doing it now um like i i don't know it's just from a business sense and from an actual sports sense and upgrading your talent like that's a no-brainer to me yeah Sorry, I mean, that was even, a lot there but yeah. no no i totally i i agree with you because i mean it seemed like he still wanted to be the nice guy to a degree i mean they could have made that sheet more prickly than what they did um teams in the past have with i mean i think it was Otto porter jr and the wizards when the nets tried to sign him and they put in trade kickers and never all forget types. when the nets sent that the tie i'll never forget seeing the tyler johnson offer sheet for the first time <laughs> yes exactly about I mean, that's what i'm talking about like the pacers didn't do that so i mean it was it was still somewhat friendly but um yeah i think that my main takeaway kind of goes back to like things that paul george has said since leaving the pacers like, I mean, we can talk about like the ridiculousness of him kind of thinking that somehow the Pacers were going to be able to trade for Anthony Davis, like him saying that he had recruited Anthony Davis and Anthony Davis corroborated that story. And like, I think that's great, but like, go back and look at that roster. There was yeah. nothing that the Pacers were trading to get Anthony Davis here. The boy but at the Allen same- and seven first rounders. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Like six players who weren't in the NBA within a year. But um, point being is you know, whether real or perceived, Paul George felt like there were times where the Pacers either weren't going to be willing to spend or weren't going to go after players that were going to make his life easier. Um, we've heard that from other past Pacers who have since moved on to other stops. So I think at the very least, the Pacers doing this, if I'm Tyrese Halliburton, I feel like they believe in me. And we know that that's somewhat important to him, given what his reaction was after he left the Kings. Um, and talking about how, like, I was the one player who wanted to be there and like, I just wasn't expecting this. And, you know, even kind of like, I wouldn't necessarily describe him as jaded, but like him revealing that he talked to the Pacers and them telling him like, we want you to be our franchise point guard and him kind of saying, yeah, but I've heard that before. Like this was very much, if I'm Tyrese and I know it's only the second year of his rookie deal, but I'm going to remember that they went and did this. 
that they went and tried to put their chips in to get a player that was going to help him and was going to optimize him. It obviously didn't work out and got matched very quickly, but that was them putting the chips on the table for the reasons that we just said with Miles Turner. Like there was risk involved there. Like you did very much go out and pursue an upgrade at a position of where you already had a player in your own pipeline. So um, I think that there is benefit from it, that standpoint. And also just like from the fan base's position, like seeing that they were willing to go after a top free agent and like, and I know that Aiton's options were limited. There was only the Pacers and the Spurs with cap space to even be able to sign him to that type of deal. And it doesn't seem like that's something that the Spurs are prioritizing with their space, but they did get a former number one overall pick to sign an offer sheet. So I do think it steps in the right direction. I think it was the right thing to do. And I, didn't completely understand some of the negative reaction to that or to Aiton as a player and what his fit would have been with the Pacers. So um, that's kind of generally my takes on the situation. I would agree with that as well. I, I think like, again, for Tyrese, I think this is just a, this is a good thing. Um, so, yeah. And, and I didn't mean to take the jaded approach with it. I just think like it is frustrating to see it get hyped like this because like, I think it's a good move, but also like this is what the organization should have always been doing so i just right exactly i mean these teams have, the, get, yeah. the teams have right of refusal like sorry yeah. like that's just what restricted free agency is like yeah if, exactly if the suns don't want to match it then that's kind of their problem they already had an opportunity to to pay him before the season started so um i i'm with you on that well kaylin do you want to hit on anything else i think that we've covered everything that we've had um for the last week of vegas since we've talked i mean this was a lot that we had to cover but we've done it we have. Um, so now do you want to rank your outshine popsicles? No, I'm not. I'm not prepared. I'm too. Yeah. Two of the flavors have really just it's messed up the rankings. I need to think it over longer. Yeah, no, I agree. Well, Caitlin, this was fun. I'm glad we could catch back up and we'll be back on a regular pod schedule now. Um, actually, TBD, I have to I'm going to have to travel a couple more times. <laughs> um but uh, we will definitely be potting. It might just sound like I'm underwater at times, but we'll make it work. Um, I'll talk to you later. To everyone listening, thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed your summer league. I hope that you're enjoying your uh, um, your summer break and, and time off from basketball uh, while also ingesting all of the random uh, KD articles um, and retrospectives that we rehash every day and a half. Um also, watch the WNBA. You should be watching the WNBA. Follow me on Twitter if you don't already and uh, enjoy the WNBA because it's been an unreal level of fun. Um, but yeah, have a good rest of your day. Thank you for listening.